Howdy. You're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Howdy, guys. Howdy! Yeah, uh, again, welcome. Welcome to RUF. We're so glad you're here um, joining us for our last large group. Um, our scripture reading for tonight is John uh, 21, verses 4 through 25. Uh, so follow along as I read it. Uh, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in, uh, came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread about abroad so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this, this disciple was not yet to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things. We know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. Would you all pray with me? Uh, dear Lord, uh, we just thank you for this day, Lord, um, that you have made and given to us. Uh, we thank you to come together at RUF, Lord, and, and worship and, and hear from Austin. Uh, Lord, we just pray that um, you would bless his preaching, uh, Lord, that you would help us to um, come and learn more through this, Lord, that you would soften all of our hearts and, and 
Let us see how beautiful it is um, that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again. Um, Father, I pray uh, for everyone here, Lord, as we're um, coming to the end of the semester. I pray that you would continue to uh, watch over us and, Lord, give us peace, uh, peace that only comes from you. Um, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Luke. Um, look, welcome to RUF. My name is Austin McCann. I'm the RUF campus minister here. I just want to say this. Like, if, if this is your first time to walk through the door of All Face Chapel, we're really glad you're here. We really believe at All Face that, I mean, at RUF, that you're never so good that you stand outside the need of God's grace. While you're never so bad that you stand outside the reach of God's grace. We really mean that. We hope that you experience and taste that as you meet and get to know people here. So for all of our guests here, for everyone here tonight, we're really glad you're here. Um, and look, uh, I'm just going to point out the elephant in the room, okay? Uh, Wes over here, he's, he has a camera with us. He, just treat him like a wedding photographer, okay? Uh, he, uh, he is coming to from Second Crowds in Memphis, Tennessee to come do some kind of promotional video. So we're glad you're here, Wes, but uh, you can act natural. That's okay. Uh, so... Um, I want to do something else too. I actually want to ask all the seniors in here tonight to stand up. So if you are if you are a senior graduating this December, I'm sorry, if you are a senior graduating in December, would you please stand? Okay. Look, every year I read, we just want to say this. We it's really sad we love this, but we have to say goodbye to people. We know that uh, students are graduating. So I just want to say this to all you seniors in front of everybody. We're so glad that you've been a part of RUF. It's completely voluntary. And y'all chose to be here to come and to be a part of it. So we love y'all, and we're thankful for you. I know I could have saved that two weeks from now, Lessons and Carols, but we just want you to know that we love y'all, and we're thankful for you, and we're praying for you. And you're always welcome back to All Face anytime, okay? So, uh, yeah, round of applause for our seniors. I want to grab you. Yeah. I sit down. I won't embarrass y'all anymore. Um, really, really, welcome to our last, uh, last RUF uh, as we wrap up our series and the Gospel of John. And if you've been with us, we've been walking through the Gospel of John and considering what John has written in our previous chapter, that Jesus came, that John wrote this book, and Jesus came, that we would know that He is the Son of God, and that through Him we would actually have life in His name. And tonight we end by looking at this conversation with Jesus, that Jesus has with Peter, a failure, and see that life actually comes to restore Him. Okay, so there's a lot in this passage tonight, but that's kind of what I want to emphasize as we begin. Uh, so we're going to have two main heading, headings tonight. If you are a note-taker, then uh, please feel free to write these down. But big thanks to Les Newsom, Brian Sorgan Fry, Matt Howell, men who have gone before me and plunged into the depth of this passage. Uh, so a lot's come from them tonight. Uh, so two things tonight, okay? Peter's failure and Jesus' response to, to Peter's failure. Okay, so Peter's failure... And Jesus' response to Peter's failure. So first, Peter's failure. Who is this disciple Peter? Right? Why does Jesus seem to single him out in our passage tonight? Well, you get a hint of it in our text, but all throughout the Gospels, Peter... Or, sorry, you get a hint of it in our text because after three times of Jesus asking Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter ends up breaking down in grief. Why? Well, just a few chapters before this, in chapter 18, confident, boisterous, always the first to speak Peter actually meets utter failure. 
And after that, the Gospels, Peter is always speaking first. He's always sticking out. And it's almost humorously, he's always putting himself out there as being better or more committed or more determined or more loving of Jesus than any of the other disciples. Because earlier, in John 13, 37, Peter emphatically and persistently tells Jesus, Jesus, I will remain loyal to you. I'm actually going to lay my, down, my life down for you. And in Matthew, we're actually told at one point, Jesus is telling all of his disciples that they will, they're all going to leave him. They're all going to desert him. They're all going to be afraid and abandon him in, in his arrest, the night of his arrest. But Peter looks at Jesus and says, though all of them are going to leave you, I never will. Though they may forsake you, I'm actually going to be with you. And Jesus looks at Peter and says this. He says, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And sure enough, on the night of Jesus' arrest in chapter 18, Peter follows Jesus from afar. And while he's, Jesus is on trial, Peter is standing outside the, in the courtyard, and it's cold, and he's standing over a coal fire. And he's approached by a young girl, and she asks him, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he denies it. And she asks again, and he denies it. And finally, on the last time, he curses himself and he says, I don't know this man, Jesus. And immediately, just as Jesus predicted, the rooster crowed. And Peter realized that what he had done. And he broke down in weeping and despair. Because Peter in that moment became the person that he never thought that he would be. He was actually ashamed of Jesus, wanting nothing to do with him. And since that night, as we, when we come to our passage this evening... Since that tragic night, Jesus has died on a cross. He's resurrected. He's visited the disciples twice in a resurrected, glorious body. He's announced to everyone that the debt of his people's sins has been paid for. And yet, this chapter shows that not even the resurrection itself had rid Peter's memory of his utter failure of Jesus. He still couldn't shake it. And it, it still hadn't been addressed yet. And so finally in our passage tonight, as we wrap up in our series in John. Tonight, after the third time Jesus reveals himself to his disciples, Jesus says it's time. It's time to address the elephant in the room. And it's here. In unshakable failure, Jesus comes to Peter. He singles out Peter and says, it's time to talk about this. And I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes tonight, okay? If I told you that Jesus wanted to talk to you about your biggest failures tonight, like the things in your life that you wish you, you would have never done, and you've, you've just tried to forget about them, but Jesus wants to, wants to talk to you about that, what would be your, be your reaction tonight? What would be your reaction if Jesus wants to talk to you about your dark fantasies? Or Jesus wants to talk to you about the first night you took off your clothes with somebody? Or Jesus wants to talk about the night that you've always wanted to forget? Or the way that you treated that person. Or the way that you've lied to people and lived a deceptive life. Like, what would you think? Well, I, I tell you what I'd think. Like, I would think what I thought when I was a child and I got, like, way out of control. And I heard those condemning words from my mother. Well, look, we're just going to have to call your dad. And when he gets home, you'll have to talk about it. Like, if you've ever experienced that, like, you know that's, like, the, the longest hours of your life, like, waiting that judgment from your dad. It's like, you're waiting, you know it's coming. 
But what does Jesus do? What does he do, and how does he respond to Peter's failure? Well, first what we see in this passage is that Jesus actually recreates the scene of Peter's failure. Because first what we see is the charcoal fire. Peter is wet, and he's literally climbing up the banks, up to Jesus, out of the water, soaking wet. And Jesus is on the beach, and he's prepared the disciples breakfast over a fire. And not just any fire, but a charcoal fire, which has a very distinct smell. And do you know the other time that we see a charcoal fire? The only other time we see it is in John 18, when Peter is standing outside on a cold night while Jesus is on trial. And it's there that he's asked, aren't you one of his disciples? And he denies his Lord three times. And Peter's got to be thinking as he approaches this fire, as he approaches his risen Lord, like, oh no. As he looks at Jesus and he smells the smell of that charcoal fire, his mind and his heart is triggered. And he's reminded of his sin and failure. A fire has probably never been so cold to Peter in his entire life. And how else does Jesus recreate his failure? Well, the time of day. In verse 4, it says that this happened at the break of dawn. Like, when does Peter deny Jesus three times? It's right before the rooster crows. And when does the rooster crow? At the crack of dawn. It's the same time of day and the same kind of fire. And lastly, the conversation itself. They finish breakfast, and Jesus turns his attention to Peter. And he asks him, seemingly in front of everyone, Simon, do you love me more than these? In other words, Peter, you claim that the... You claim that these other disciples leave me, but not you. Do you love me more than they do, like you've always claimed? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then a second time. And then finally the third time, Peter breaks. And it grieves him. Why? See, Jesus is purposefully recreating Peter's greatest point of failure. And Peter begins to weep. It's the same time of day. It's the same kind of fire. And it's the same kind of questioning. And he's forced to remember the thing that he's tried so hard to forget. Why is Jesus doing that? Is he shaming Peter? Is he guilt manipulating Peter in front of all the other disciples? Is he enforcing psychological abuse? No. Those are Satan's tools. Jesus does not shame you or guilt manipulate you. Jesus is actually loving and caring for Peter right here. How? Because what he is bringing forth to Peter is he is saying, Peter, I know this sounds too good to be true. But the way you move forward is not to hide what you have done and forget about it. But to face your failure and to remember it. But to overlay it with the memory and the truth of my transforming grace for you of my forgiveness for you. Peter, I'm not here to scold you. I'm making breakfast with you. He wants to be with him. He's saying your failures are far from the reason of actually pushing me away. Peter, they're actually the reason that I came. It's why I came to die for you. So Jesus is making Peter remember his greatest point of failure so that Peter will believe what we all struggle to believe is that Jesus loves 
failures. He loves sinners. It's the reason He came to die. He only loves failures because guess what? That's all that, that exists in this room. As I said last week, your campus minister being the chief of them. But Peter believed the way forward is to actually ignore our failures, to minimize them, and to act like they don't exist. Because what Peter thought was this, and if you interact with Peter throughout the Gospels, this is what you begin to learn. This is what Peter thought. Peter thought that Jesus loved Peter the courageous, Peter the strong, Peter the passionate, no. Jesus loves Peter the weak. Peter the cowardly. Peter the sinful. That's the Peter that Jesus loves. But all, of us, all of us in this room tonight, whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, all of us to some extent have a picture of the ideal self, of what we should be. Right? We have an imagined self of who we should be. And it's usually a compilation of things in your past that you wish you hadn't done and imagining what you should like, look like in the future. Like, that's the person I should be. Okay, so let me take a stab and I'll, I'll be the example of this for, for us tonight, okay? So here's what that looks like for me, okay? Usually, I may be the only one here tonight, but I don't think I am that. Like, when I reflect on myself at the end of the week, usually on a Friday, I don't know, Saturday. And usually what I start doing is, is actually thinking about my failures. I'm usually tired, and I'm thinking about that combo that I had with a student where I just didn't love you very well, or I think about how Alex was trying to get my attention and I was glued to my phone and not paying attention and worrying about fantasy football, or like I wish I didn't have like such a busy day and I planned like cleaner and more efficiently the week before. And as I reflect and I think about all those things, I'm like, oh, man, I did it again. <laughs> you know what? Next, next week's going to be different. Next week, I'm going to wake up at 5 every morning. I'm going to pray for an hour, spend my time on my Bible for an hour. And, you know, tomorrow's Saturday, so I'm going to give Alex and Henry my full attention. We won't have any distractions. And then we'll end up at the end of the night watching a movie together, and Alex will tell me how much she loves me, and, and Henry will try and tell me how much he loves me, and... And then next week we're going to have, you know, I'm going to have these great meetings and one-on-ones with students and we'll talk about the gospel and someone will start crying and they'll come to know Jesus and I'll find all the best ways to care about Alex and I'll finally be on top of my schedule and I won't disappoint any of my students. Like, that's how I kind of think of myself on a Friday. Like, that's the ideal Austin McCann. That's what I'm convinced that I'm supposed to look like. You know what the problem is? <laughs> I've never had a week like that. <laughs> Ever. Instead, like, I wake up on a Saturday and I'm distracted by college game day and I'm upset because Henry's screaming. Like, I, I forget that I had a scheduled phone call with a friend. I end up going on a run and I realize how out of shape I am. Like, Monday morning my inbox is full and I feel rushed and on Wednesday night I can finish up my sermon and make a large group. That's what my week looks like. You see, but to walk with Jesus is realizing that Jesus does not love. He does not, he does not forgive the ideal Austin. You know why? 
Because that Austin doesn't exist. <laughs> Jesus loves and forgives and delights in the real Austin because that's the one that exists. The one that he's transforming into the image of himself. You see, what Jesus is doing for Peter is necessary for all of us. He's saying, Peter, you have to receive and you have to live in the reality of grace. Jesus does not love the best ideal version of yourself or, or what you think you should be, which is absent of the things that you probably shouldn't have done, and the imagined future of what you think you're going to be, which is probably warped anyway. He loves you and he's making you into the image of himself as you trust him and as you seek him and as he takes you outside of yourself and brings you to himself. And that's exactly what leads us to our next point. Secondly, how does Jesus respond to Peter's failure? Jesus brings Peter to himself. And this is really amazing. Because last week, after, after Jesus was resurrected, the first person he appears to is Mary Magdalene. And we didn't talk about this, but he gives her some instructions. He says, go. Go to my brothers and tell them. Amazing. The first time Jesus refers to his disciples in this way, in the entire gospel, in the whole gospel, he doesn't say, okay, Mary, I'm back. I'm back. You go tell them. You go tell those half-hearted, cowardly traitors that I want to see them, and I've got a word for them, because I'm back. No, he calls his disciples brothers. And now here, here, he's on the shore. And he tells the disciples to put the nets out on the other side in a huge net. And they catch a huge batch of fish. So big that they can't even haul it in. They realize it's Jesus. And Peter throws himself into the water and swims to shore. And how do we find Jesus standing on the shore? Are his arms crossed? Is he tapping his feet in disappointment? Is he pacing back and forth about to let him hear it? No, he's preparing breakfast for them. He actually shares a meal with them. Unbelievable. Behold Jesus, God himself, the one who every single person sitting there, and especially Peter, wanted nothing to do with him, betrayed him personally. And you never get the impression that Jesus' love for Peter has diminished in any way. Why is that? It's because Jesus' love for Peter, and therefore Jesus' love for anyone who trusts in him, is not based on Peter's success and failures. It never has been, and it never will be. Instead, it is freely given out of sheer grace. It's freely given because Peter stands fully forgiven because of what Jesus has accomplished on his behalf. And so Jesus is gently and lovingly bringing Peter to repentance. He is bringing Peter to himself. He's saying, Peter, look at me. He's making Peter realize his sin in front of a crucified, resurrected Savior. Look at me, Peter. Follow me. Love me. Because I've never quit loving you. See, this is how good grief, godly grief, leads to repentance. Grief that leads to rejoicing. Grief that leads to loving Jesus. This is how it works. Think about this, okay? 
Think about the difference between Judas and Peter. You see, there were two men who betrayed Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he was arrested. And there were two men that broke down and wept that night, bitterly. One man was Judas. But the problem was that Judas had nowhere to go with his sin, his failure, and his grief. And so he hung himself. And you have another man, Peter. His grief ended up driving him into the arms of a merciful and loving Jesus. And it made Peter love him all the more. You see, the refreshing, restoring grief as shown by Peter is the grief that takes your sin to Jesus. Not back to yourself. Not just afraid and angry because you got caught. But you actually turn from your sin and you turn towards Him. That's repentance. Right? It really is the difference between dating and marriage. Right? Like most of you in here, right, when you're in a dating relationship, you are just on pins and needles. Right? Like, because you know, like deep down in your heart, that this girl <laughs> uh, legally could, and without sin, could get up tomorrow and decide uh, she, don't, she doesn't want anything to do with you. And she could walk away at any moment. And so, I'm overstating here, right? But so often you are, you're quick to apologize, right? You're quick to try to figure out like, how to be funny and how to grow, go on great dates. And, because there's no actual security there. You've got to keep her near somehow. So you've got to always keep it up somehow. But the blessed joys of marriage is that when you finally commit to one another in a covenant marriage and realize that she's actually mine today and tomorrow and the next day, then what you find is is that when you apologize and when you take her out on dates, it's not because you might lose her, but because you're secure in her love and overwhelmed with how much she loves you. You see, godly repentance, it ends in joy. Because it frees you up to come to Jesus as you are. That you've been accepted once and for all. And you've been forgiven at a cross. And godly grief, it starts when you realize that you look at my sin, and I look at it, not at what it costs me, but what it costs Jesus. So which is it for you tonight? And when you see your sin, do you grieve of yourself, or do you grieve over actually sinning against the Lord Himself. Where do you go with your sin? Do you try and feel bad enough, or do you take it to the well of free grace? That the best place for a sinner is at the feet of Jesus. And that's what's happening with Peter. And that's what Jesus is doing. Yes, repentance is hurt. It, it hurts, and it's ugly. It reminds me of um, the movie Shawshank Redemption, if you've ever seen that. And... Uh, your fault, not mine, if you haven't seen it yet. I'm kind of ruining it. Uh, but Andy Dufresne ends up kind of creating this elaborate plan, and he, and he breaks out of prison. But in order for him to break out of prison, he has to crawl through 500 yards of a small sewage tunnel filled with vomit and other unimaginable things. And he crawls 500 yards and finds himself finally on the other side of the rain falling down on him in freedom. Repentance is hard, and that's what it feels like when you're crawling through the old, your, the sin in your heart. Like, am I really this prideful? Am I really this messy? Am I, am I really this gross? But you're met with the, the showering love of Jesus, His grace, never ending. 
And that is what Peter is experiencing tonight. So lastly, how does Jesus respond to Peter's failure? Jesus brings Peter outside of himself. I love this. Think about this. Every time Peter affirms his love for Jesus, what does Jesus say? He says, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. What is Jesus doing? I love it. Peter has not been able to get over himself. He is so self-absorbed in his own failure. And so Jesus redirects his heart. He meets him with grace, and then he he says, he says, go, feed, go tend, go love, go feed my sheep, go love other people. Isn't this beautiful? You see, Peter confesses, yes, I love you, and Jesus redirects him by saying, well, actually, how you really love me, Peter, is go love my people. Go look outside of yourself. Go serve them. See, the healing of our sin, the healing of our shame and our failure is not over until we actually turn outside of ourselves in obedience to Christ and therefore actually loving and pouring out our love for others. See, self-absorption, it gets dealt with at the cross and then it sends you out not to love yourself but to really love others because you're so secure in the love of Jesus and His love He has for you. And Jesus is saying, this is the mark of someone who loves me. This is a mark of someone who's been forgiven. So Peter, now go. And let me bring this semester to a close by reading this last verse. Now there are also so many other things that Jesus did. For every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would have been written. What an ending statement. What a way to finish. See, you've walked through this book, and some of you have seen Jesus for the first time. And others of you have freshly seen the Son of God. But John wants you to know it's not over. Don't leave here tonight thinking, man, that was a nice semester. I know Jesus. I know His love. And then just stop. Oh no, there's more. to, To actually leave here wanting to know Jesus better and to go live for Him and to love Him, and to drink of His never-ending, never-giving-up, never always-forever love. Because according to John, you will never reach the end of it. No library, no finite being will ever be able to fully take in and exhaust the amazement of His grace, the amazement of life itself. And so eternity to eternity, will be a time of discovering more and yet more of the unsearchable riches of Christ, who is life itself. Do you believe it? That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that while we were still sinners, still failures, Christ died for us. Lord, I pray that we would not leave here tonight unchanged, but that you would continue to help us to trust and believe that you are life and life itself. Lord, you are the giver of joy. You are the one who helps us persevere. Lord, you 
Your grace is unending. Lord, tonight, if we, those of us who are struggling with failure, struggling with our sin, I pray that we would bring it to the feet of Jesus. Knowing that you are gracious, you are kind, you are quick to forgive. We thank you for being life itself. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If you're interested in joining us for a large group, we would love to see you at All Faiths Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on. We hope to see you around. Thanks and gig'em.